If you're new here, might be a little odd for you, but we don't pass a plate. The boxes are in the back. The kiosk is in the back. So we won't be doing those things. Announcements are short, so that was it. Because where the Spirit and the Word come together, God creates new life. And as we submit to His presence, and as we invite His presence in, and really it's just our hearts getting in line with what's already going on, and we open up His Word, we give an opportunity for new life in you. We give an opportunity for new life in me. These are the things... That we were born again for, amen? My wife's gone to the back to work, but she had a dream last night that she had a baby. And pending an immaculate conception, uh, that's not going to happen. Any pregnant women in here? First trimester. Ah, second. Ooh, good one. Third. Yes. Amen. So as I was pondering on the dream that my wife had and the word that God's been uh, storing in me uh, to release today, it brought me to Genesis chapter 30. Turn with me there. In Genesis chapter 30, we are introduced to Jacob. We are introduced to Leah and we are introduced to Rachel now we know the story that Jacob sought to marry Rachel because like the scripture says he loved her he worked seven years for Rachel's father Laban so that he might earn a marriage but in the end Laban pulled a swift one on him and gave him Leah instead but because he loved Rachel so, he said, I will work another seven years for Rachel. So in the end, Jacob is married to both Leah and to Rachel. In chapter 30, we start to see something happen in this story. We start to see that Rachel in verse in 30, chapter one says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Can anybody say that's desperation? Give me children or I'll die. Now in her world, there was no possibility of a legacy unless you had a child. And what we see in Rachel is God giving her or she praying for a promise. God, you promise that you would give me a child. And so she comes to this season in life of desperation where she says, give me the promise or I'll die. We come to those places at some time, don't we? In a in a first trimester of a pregnancy, you might not be able to tell that someone's pregnant, right? You have to go by their words. In a second trimester, right, you might just begin to see something start to happen. And in a third trimester, you will know what's obvious. Am I right? Yeah, I've never had a baby, but I've had children and watched it. Disclaimer. 
So Rachel is now in a position where she has to watch Leah give birth to seven times over what she desired. She's now in a position where she had to watch Zelpa give birth to something she desired two times over. And she's also in the position to watch Belha, another wife, give birth to something that she desired two times over. Have you ever been there? I want to talk to you this morning about being pregnant with a promise. I want to talk to you this morning about a story like Mary. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, God impregnated her with the greatest promise mankind would ever see. We know his name is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55 says this, verse 9 and 11. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God literally spoke. He set the example when Jesus Christ came. When God spoke, he spoke a word into Mary. The word of God then became flesh. And that flesh spoke to us the salvation of God, Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus Christ, you also are a word from heaven. God spoke and you became life. And whatever God speaks in the end, he will accomplish what he sent it to do. Not only you as a child of God, not only you are just a promise, but God also impregnated you with something. He also put within you a vision. Now along the way, according to our obedience and the journey that Jesus sends us on, this vision becomes aware. But in the beginning, it's not so much so. It's kind of like a first, second, and third trimester. Someone, I might tell you, oh, God gave me something good, and I see it. And you're like, I got to go by your words, but I don't really see what's going on because it's inside of you, not outside. Right? Somewhere maybe in a different season of life, you, you might say, uh, yeah, something's changing in you. Something's, something's going on. I, I kind of agree. You might be, uh, you know, pregnant. Right? <laughs> right? But by the third trimester, right, by this third season in life, you might actually agree with me because I have had some enormous change. Right? And it is evident that something's going on in me. Right? <laughs> okay, I painted the picture for you. My heart goes out to Rachel because she had to watch many others produce a promise that was actually in her. And in the end, God saw fit to give her two sons. Two very great sons, Joseph and Benjamin. The um, gestation period, the time in which you're pregnant, right? For a human and some other animals are different. So if you were talking about a whale, 76 weeks pregnant. 76 weeks of having to carry something where a human 
a woman? 40 weeks. Or what if we were talking about an elephant? 88 weeks, more than double the time that it takes for a human woman to give birth to a promise. Rachel was like this. She was like the elephant where Leah, right, might have been like the mere woman. The duration of her gestation period was greater because according to the promise in you determines the duration at which God sees fit to give birth to your vision. God is sovereign. He alone plants this thing in you and he alone will grow it and he alone will bring it to completion if you walk in obedience. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. This is where we're going to camp out today. And Genesis chapter 11 is actually the first introduction of Abram. We call him Abraham. And it's funny because if you do not give the respect to the chapter break, but you actually look at it as though there was no chapter break before, you would see that Abram's story started off not as the father of the nations, but as a son of someone. Abram started off as Terah's son. And he started off in Ur. And God gives him a command. In Genesis eleven twenty seven, it says, This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nohar, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now he throws this little one in here. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, which was the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Say there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So in Genesis eleven twenty seven, we have Terah, the father, Abram, the son, Sarai, the barren bride, Canaan, meaning the promise and the settling in a land called Haran, which, by the way, was not Canaan. In Genesis 11, Abram starts out in a place like we do. Whether we call it a first trimester, where we call it the purpose of God, or whether we call it the beginning of our relationship with God, it's all the same. God first needs to form within you a purpose. Many of us run along and forget the fact that we were called to be sons and daughters of the living God. And when we do so, we find ourselves frustrated along the way or have an identity crisis along the way. And somewhere, just like in prophecy today, God reminds us, hey, slow down. There's no condemnation for you 
because I have planted you within the kingdom of the son that I love. There is conviction for the son of God and for the daughter of God, but condemnation is a platform that we do not discuss because by the blood of Jesus, he's put us away. He's called us righteous. He's made us holy. And so when you walk anything as anything other than it creates within you a frustration. So we see Abram starting an introduction for the first time to history as a son, just like we are. Galatians 4, 3 tells us this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir of God. That literally means everything that you were was now taken by him. And everything that he is now belongs to you. It's been a transfer from heaven to earth. And we find our joy in that. We find our identity in that. And if, it, if you're anything like me, some days I need to be reminded of that. This is a lot like a first trimester. This is a lot like a first season in a believer's life when he is learning to figure out who he is. In a first trimester, we call it conception. In a conception stage, something begins. And although you do not look much different, you're undergoing enormous changes inside because he is creating a greater capacity for himself to grow in you. Just like a trimester and a pregnancy, he is in this season making you maybe not feel so great, right? Anybody? Okay, who's been through a first trimester? Yeah, yeah, right? Not the happy one, right? You wouldn't like, well, when I get past this one. Yeah, it's, pain, it's painful to let some things go. It's painful to grow. Right. And so God comes in and he starts immediately taking you seriously, even more seriously than you take yourself. And so he starts to expand you, get rid of some things, move in you, grow something in you. And all of a sudden it might create some pain because you're having to let some things go and you have to let God grow in you. So it is for your growth as well as it is for the vision when God impregnates you. This is a time you develop vital organs, the core of who God made you to be. There's a season in every believer's life when God speaks a word of promise into you. You now are a host of his presence. You are now a steward of something that God placed in you. And because of that, he, could, he does what he does in every single one. He is himself and he cannot help but to be so. But in this season of life, he's creating some core elementary elements in you that will last you through the rest of your days and your journey with him. This is also a time when you'll still have to tell people what's going on inside of you. Ever been there? You're trying to convince your family. You're trying to convince your loved ones around you. No, no, no. Something's going on inside of me. Right. I'm, God's doing something. 
and they're skeptical. Rightly so. Rightly so. I don't know how many times in the beginning of my walk that I was accused of a fad or a phase. And I just simply had to come to the conclusion, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> this is the stage in life also that miscarriage is most significant time. This is a time in life where the enemy wants to pick you off, where he wants to create a spiritual abortion to your vision, where he literally wants to sever God's promise in your life. And so it's so very important that you commune with other believers so that you are encouraged, edified and build up because Christianity's never been a long ranger mentality. That is the enemy. It's always meant to be done together. Romans 10 2 says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal without God or a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of righteousness or the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness in a new walk, in a new time when God gives you a new promise, the birthing of a new vision. Maybe you've walked with God for 30 years. But something starts to stir inside of you. Something new is happening. In this time, the enemy wants to take this away, but God is fighting for it. He is greater than he who is in the world. When these things happen, some of the litmus tests is our own actions. We try to authenticate our existence through achievement and accomplishments. Because we don't know fully who we are yet when we don't realize that we're sons and daughters and that Jesus Christ has paid the full price for that we try to authenticate something inside of us our existence is questioned by the enemy why why are you here who are you you're not a son of God you're not a son and daughter of the living God he's the accuser and the liar and so we thought, try to authenticate our existence by our, through our achievements and accomplishments, such ambitions lead us into self-centered pragmatism where the ends justify the means. What do I mean? We're not performance-based, we're obedience-based. A performance takes place of obedience when this happens. God's vision for your life is not contingent upon your performance, rather your obedience. We have to learn to rest in each season of God that God has. But if we can't see it, it's a problem. But where there is no vision, the people perish. But Jesus Christ gives vision. He gives 2020 vision. And it may be that you have to discover it along the way. It may be that it's progressive. It may be that it's according to your obedience and that you will continue to press on and move forward. That you might grow closer and closer to the prize who is Jesus Christ. And as you get there, the focus becomes clear. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. What is he saying? Obedience is better than sacrifice because if we're honest with ourselves, our sacrifice Lots of times are just bribes to God. They're just bribes. We bribe the Lord to make us move along quicker in uh, the progress 
that he's put in our lives uh, are around something instead of through some necessary seasons of preparation. Are you tracking? God places within you a purpose. And this is where you start. But that purpose is supposed to give way to a call. And that call is supposed to give way to a vision. When you step out of step with the spirit and in step with your own will, you may try to put these things ahead of the game and you're going to find that you're frustrating and handcuffing the Holy Spirit. And when you feel these things, this is God's grace to you. His litmus test that says, hey, 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 get back in step with me. I am growing something here. And what I start, I complete well. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful in its time. If God spoke from heaven and placed his word in you and tells you that it will not return back to him empty, but it will accomplish that which he sent it to do. His word is true, whether you believe it or not. His word is absolute. It is not contingent on whether you believe it to be true. First Corinthians 126 says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you in influential. Not many of you were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Hallelujah. This is me. I don't know about you, but when God called me, not only in society was I much of nothing, but in my heart, I was much of nothing. This is what I thought of myself. This is how I saw myself. But when Jesus Christ moved in and I moved out, significance came. Purpose came. And with a purpose, birthed the call. And that call started to point me to something else. The season of purpose is a season of conception. It's a conceiving for the first time that God desires to do something amazing through you and with you. you. You ever been there? Maybe you're there now. You have to come to the conclusion, like Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seeks him. That is a journey between those two because first coming to God that he exists, period, and then submitting your life to him puts you in a righteous standard with God. But then realizing that he is not just come to save you, but to set you free. To love on you and to give you good gifts is a long journey for some people. So when we get trapped, when we understand that we have a purpose, but we don't go on to ask God that what's that purpose as a son, what do I do as a son and daughter now? What, what is my purpose within the body? And seek God for a call. Call me out, God, and tell me what is my function within the body? Am I a hand? Am I a foot? Am I a mouthpiece? What am I? Are you journeying with me? Well, let's journey a minute from a purpose to a call. 
from one trimester to the other. <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's a song Jason Upton sings and he says, believing is like conceiving. Believing is like conceiving this child that we are receiving a gift beyond our reason. It's more of what we need and less of what we know. And it calls not to our mind, but it cries to our soul. You see, sometimes we try to mentally get a grip on God's vision. And I'm telling you the truth. You're looking through the long, wrong lens. The lens comes from your soul. When you have a perspective that cries out to God from your heart. You ever been there? You're trying to explain to somebody what God's telling you in your heart, but your mind's not really lining up and it doesn't really communicate what your heart's trying to say. Yet you are called to be obedient to what your heart says, not to what your mind says, because these minds, whether we like it or not, are being renewed daily. And that's a present tense. Reality. In Genesis 12, we go from purpose of Abraham to the call of Abraham from Ur to a place called Haran. In chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Keep your finger in Genesis and go to Acts 12. This is the same account with a little more detail. In chapter 7 of Acts in verse 1, it says, Then the high priest asked, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers, this is Stephen. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, er, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance there, not even a foot on the ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time, Abraham had no promise. When we see Abraham go from Ur to Haran, we realize that Haran is a place where he pauses, but is not his destination. He keeps moving forward eventually. But let's talk about Haran for a minute. Let's talk about the time when we go from purpose to call in our own lives. When we go from purpose to call in our own visions. In Genesis chapter 12 is like a second trimester. This is the time where you become a little more comfortable. Amen, Jody? where some of the sickness has passed. But because of that comfort, it can cause you to produce foolish behavior. Why? Because you forget how sensitive of a thing that's happening in you. You might actually go right for a five mile run when you know better. You might actually uh, work a little too hard. And in the end of the day, it might catch up with you. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. I am still pregnant, right? 
Excitement is up because of the freedom of the new life in you. You start to think about what's to come. You start to show signs of real change <laughs> for the first time. Your choices become better because you're now living for something or someone other than yourself. For the first time, you can feel things moving inside. You ever been there? God impregnates you with a promise. He gives you a vision. You don't really get the vision yet, but you start to understand the call. You start to understand what you're supposed to do in this season. This is the time of testing. God tests the vital organs to ensure of a healthy promise. You see, he put that there. Therefore, it is his job to take care of it, even to protect it from you at times. And so he comes like a physician and he calls, look, we went through the promise stage together. Now we're in the stage of a call. And how is the promise that I placed in you doing? Let me check the vital organs. Let me make sure that this is sustainable and let me make sure that this is going to be brought to completion. That's a good God. This is that place where you learn what you are. Right before you might have learned who you are, I'm identity, I'm a son. Right now you're learning what you are and what you're to do within his body. What you're to do with what you've been given. We have to remember that it's in the going, right? Abraham here in verse 12, verse one, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and what? And go. Step one, go. It's always to go. It's in the going that the call becomes clear. If you don't go, you won't know. Hearing comes first and vision comes second. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message heard through the word of God. In John 9, 6 through 7, it says, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam or go and wash in the pool of scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The blind man first heard, then he went. And when he put those two things together, he was able to see. But sometimes hearing comes first and vision comes second. Sometimes you can hear the call, but you can't see the vision. But if you'll go and you'll be obedient along the way in the going, God will give you 2020 vision. You remember those times we're talking about a few minutes ago, when we're talking about authenticating our existence, right? If, if we don't realize that God has already authenticated your existence, it creates problems. We got to remember that we do with excellence what we do because of what he's already done for us, not about what he can do for us. Are you with me there? Raise your hand. He's already paid the price for us. He's already called us sons and daughters if we will receive that. We don't need to approach God as though he's our petition machine or though he is our jackpot, although he loves our petitions, he wants us to move on from petition to prayer and from prayer to groaning like Rachel, as she did when she was groaning and saying, give me a promise or I die. 
Are you getting something this morning? If you do not cultivate the call, if you do not, if you move on too fast, you'll begin to use people and treasure items instead of treasuring people and using items. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Sometimes along the way, we start to get a skewed view of what things are. Sometimes along the way, our call becomes twisted. Sometimes along the way, we can miss or get off track. Pastor Nick talked about last week that our living out our call, when we learn to live this thing out, that it can become twisted uh, along the way. It can become shallow along the way. And that's because if we choose like Abraham did in Haran to settle for a bit, when God tells us not to settle, then we, we stop at a shallow place and we don't go deeper with God. I'm here this morning to tell you that God is giving, going to give you vision because you are walking out the call. First Peter 2 9 is a good reminder. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. King James says peculiar, a peculiar people, because sometimes just like me, if you don't know me, you could go. Sometimes he makes a lot of sense, but sometimes he's a little weird and I don't get it, you know, but when you get to know me, you start to understand. Oh, wait a minute. He really loves the Lord and is trying to work this thing out just like me. And so he might come off as peculiar. And I say, amen, because God called me that I am supposed to be peculiar. I am not supposed to look like the rest of the world. I am not supposed to think like the rest of the world. My economy uh, is the economy of God, not the economy of man. My train of thought is the train of Christ, not the train of man. Amen. God has already authenticated your existence. And if you're taking notes, you need to put that down. We do what we do with excellence for him and let him take care of our heart issues of significance in the going it's in the going that he takes care of our heart issues and we all have our heart issues of significance but you need to let jesus christ remind you you are significant you have been made a son and daughter of a living god and when you carry that title it tells you everything the call simply put is where we learn how to function in who we are you are a son that is your purpose you are a daughter. That is your purpose. Now God's going to teach you the call. He's going to teach you and show you if you are obedient to him, what to do with the fact that you are a son and daughter of the living God, how you fit within his body, how you fit within a broken and depraved world, how you actually walk out what you do. God literally solidified these things in us, our pastors, our elders, we have we have what you might call a mission statement. We say a mezuzah statement, right? Just like Israel who said, uh, who had the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. This was their identity. This is what they did when they went out to the other nations. The difference was they served one true living God amongst others that served a plurality. Mine is, my purpose is to let the world know that there is a father by being a son, that is my, that's my purpose. 
but my call is to make the potential of sons and daughters become reality. This is Proverbs 25. The purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters, but the man of understanding will draw them out. Whether I am in this church or whether I'm in a grocery store, whether I work a secular job, full-time ministry, whether I'm in Chick-fil-A or I'm at the park, I am called to see the potential in men and to die so that it becomes reality. That is my call. That is my family's call. When we walk out of the door and when we walk in, nothing changes. Pastor Nick, do you have one? I'm, I'm going to assume, actually, I know we don't just think up these things, these things we have to pray about. We have to come to a conclusion in our walk that no matter where we are, what we're doing, what time in life, this is what we do. This is our call. Every man of God, every woman of God, every family of God needs to have a call solidified because when the call comes, you can. Start to be at ease in working and functioning in who you are and what you do within the body. What is your part of the whole? You will be reminded it is never about you. It's always about Jesus Christ. When you come to this conclusion, God will start to send you helpers. God will also bring to you the next stage, which is a vision. He will actually start to give you clear understanding of what to do with your call. I love it because when we bring up this subject, we always bring up the subject of full-time ministry or not. Let me just put that one to rest real quick. We're all full-time ministers. We're all full-time ministers. Every single one of us. You know why? Because a part-time Christian can't defeat a full-time devil. Genesis 12. Travel with me back there for a minute. Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country and people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. <laughs> Did you see something that happened here? In Acts 7, it says the Lord spoke to Abram while still in Ur. And in Ur, he set out for Canaan, but he paused in a place called Haran. Now, this place called Haran actually has some meaning to it. In the verb tense of the Hebrew word, it means mountain. So if you were to look up or Google or just plug into your, your, uh, your study Bible online, it would tell you that Haran means mountain. Now, but if you dig a little further, you will realize that in the Hebrew thought, that mountain is not something that's high, but the mountain is something that's collected. Now, that's in the verb tense. In the noun, the word Haran means pregnancy. And throughout the scripture, you start to see God testify to these things because God draws in the gathered ones, the collected ones, the ecclesia, the body, the church. And God gives birth to nations or people groups. And so we see Haran as a place where Abraham traveled from his purpose to his call. He traveled from Ur to Haran. But God said, don't settle there. You ever been there? God gives you a purpose. He gives you a call and you think because we walk in in this building, this is what we're supposed to do. 
We're supposed to meet on Sundays and we're supposed to uh, worship in music and we're supposed to love on each other. And then when we walk out of here, everything's gone. No, you don't settle within the place of collecting. You don't settle on the mountain of God. You don't settle in that place. We come together as the mountain of God so that we can go out and affect the rest of the world. We are breaking down the model and growing in our understanding that Sunday Christianity is ineffective. This is our huddle. When we huddle, we come together and we break and we go out of these doors and we do what God called us to do. We come together to encourage each other and to tell each other stories about what goes on between the meetings. We are not to pause in Haran. We are not to pause in a place where God collects all the people. But what God does when this happens is he gives birth to new life. In Haran, the word meaning pregnancy, where the group of people were collected, it's in that place that God speaks to new life. Just like when we come together. When we come together, God starts to encourage us by our brothers and sisters. We're a little more uh, we're a little stronger. We stand up a little taller. We're a little more filled when we walk out of this place. That is by God's design. And when you walk out, you're supposed to walk out with new life. Somebody say amen. amen. Isaiah 26, 17 says, as a pregnant woman about to give birth, riffs and cries out of her pain. So we were in your presence, Lord. We were with child. We ripped in labor, but we gave birth to win. We have not brought salvation on the earth and the people of the world have not come to life. Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Your purpose should give way to your call. And your call should give way to your vision. Anything less is premature. And although it may survive, it may cause complications. Abram understood that he was always to seek Canaan. But God allowed him to develop in Haran. He allowed him to develop in Haran, but not settle there. He was not to settle. God reminded him while in Haran, of the vision that he was pressing forward to. Abraham conceived God's purpose in Ur. He developed his call in Haran, but his vision would come to life in Canaan. Sometimes in the waiting, we get a little antsy. We get a little frustrated. But isn't it, some of you ladies in here have been pregnant before, isn't it better when you go to the physician and you come back and he tells you kind of where you're at within the stage and it brings you a little more comfort it brings you a little more ease to understand where you're at this is what Jesus Christ does if you will listen to him he will tell you exactly where you are and remind you that he's never left you nor will he forsake you Isaiah 26 19 says but you were but your dead will live Lord their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. Your earth will give birth 
to the dead. He placed within you a promise and he will be, bring it to completion. Isaiah 66, 9 says, before he goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor that she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? If God can give birth to a nation in a day, can he not give birth to a vision in a moment? He is the living God. He is the one who has spoken to you, who has impregnated you, and who will bring forth the delivery. Genesis 12, 7 brings forth our vision. Genesis 12, 7. I'm going to start in 4. Genesis 12, 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that he had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived where? There. there. They arrived in the promise. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. <laughs> First, second, and third trimester. I would have to call this the third. If Abram traveled from Ur, paused in Midian, and ended up in Canaan, I don't see why we could see it any other way. A third trimester in a pregnancy uh, looks like a place where you come to you having to have close communication with your physician. Am I right? You, you get travel bans. You can't go far. You got to stay close to them, really close at this time because things are getting serious. The promise within you is obvious to all, right? Third trimester, we're wobbling around. Can't really, you know, shape it up and walk straight because God is doing something and you can't help it. You try to walk a little, sometimes you get a little funny, right? Because God is doing something and everyone around you can obviously see it. And at this time, your friends are bowing, uh, coming around you and they're encouraging you and they're lifting you up and they're helping you in your weakness. And they're loving on you. And they're being a little softer to you at the time, right? Because they understand the difficulties that are there and also coming. All your senses are on high alert. At least that was for my wife. Uh, Right. All the senses are on overload. And all God requires you to do is carry out the labor and he'll deliver the promise. <laughs> this is a time. Where much preparation has been involved, we have invested many hours and times in careful observation from the physician patience and pain 
All these things are involved. And then everything gets a little more excruciating and a little more tense, a little faster. And then amazing amount of pain. And then new life. This is the pattern that God has set for, before us. This is what we should expect when God impregnates you with a promise, when he gives you a vision. <laughs> Abram received a vision while in Haran to go. If he would go, God would make him. He would bless him and he would give him the real story once he made it to the place of his vision, once he made it to the promise. You know what he told Abram? It's not about you. <laughs> I'm going to take you from your homeland. I'm going to sever you from your own family. I'm going to I'm going to develop in you a call and I'm going to send you to the vision. I'm going to send you to the promised land. And when you get there, I'll tell you along the way. And once you get there, God said, it's not for you, Abram. It's for your offspring. Mm. It's never about us, is it? You know what Abram did? <laughs> he built an altar. He built an altar when he came to the promise. You're, uh, we were uh, not too long ago in a Jason Upton concert. And he sang a song. I'm going to read you the lyrics because it's speaking to me. He said, every table is an altar and every breath is a gift from you. Every moment is a treasure and every day is a kiss from you. Every stranger has a story and every story's being told by you. We're all children of a journey. Jesus, only you can lead us through. So let our hearts be awake. Be awake. Break the bread, pour the wine, let our hearts come alive in your presence. <laughs> in your presence, let our fear fall away. Let our faith rise today in your presence, in your presence, Jesus. When God brings you to the conclusion that his vision has always been about somebody other than yourself. Your heart's going to want to place an altar before God and give your life for it. This is where God's bringing you. This is your journey. John 16, 21. Says a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now it is your time to grieve. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. <laughs> It's so hard for us to see that it's not about us. But when we let go of our selfish ambitions and we refuse to settle in our accomplishments, God will see his good and perfect will completed in us. Don't let these things be Haran to you. Don't let these places be a settling for you. Don't let your own accomplishments be a settling for you. Because God always has more. He always has more. He always has more. Your vision 
gives your pain a purpose. When you start to see clearly what God is doing in your life, when you start to understand clearly as you get closer through your walk of obedience, you will start to understand why the hardships have come, why the pain has come, because your vision gives your pain a purpose. And when God shows you what exactly it is that he's calling you to, it'll all make sense. It'll all make sense. Romans 8, 18 said, I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of God. So it is for us. As we walk from a purpose and grow into a calling and the calling gives way to a vision. This is God's progressive revelation to you to understand that you were called to be a word from heaven, that you were called to walk out that word in obedience and that that word would be expressed to all mankind and you would be a story of his glory. And when these things come to pass. God and God alone will have the glory. And somewhere along the way, our own selfish ambitions, our accomplishments and things like that can hang us up. But if we'll press on and we'll be obedient and we'll love the Lord and trust him with all our heart, he will complete and accomplish what he sent that word to do. In Psalm 27, 13, he said, I remain confident. I will see the goodness in the land of the living. Amen. We desire clarity, right? We desire that. God didn't, he didn't promise us clarity. He promised us faith. He promised us an, uh, an opportunity to have faith. Vision comes through your trust grounded obedience, period. Worship team, why don't you come up? First Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. These things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. His spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by the human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritualities with spirit taught words. God desires to see you through to completion. And you need to know whether you believe it or not, God has impregnated you with a promise. That promise at some point will become a vision to you. You will actually see it with your own eyes. When it's all said and done, we want to leave a legacy on this earth, don't we? But your legacy is only what you've left behind along the way. Whether in Ur, whether in Haran, 
or whether in Canaan, Abraham made a mark. Abraham left behind him a part of himself. And in the promise that belonged to his descendants, God brought it to completion. He promised Abram, I'll make you the father of many nations. I'll make you the father of many nations. And he has. You're those nations. God chose one man, Abram, to create a nation. He chose one nation to create a Messiah, a savior of the world. He chose one savior to save the whole human race. You in here are individuals. And you need to know one individual partnered with one promise of God can change the world. That's who you are. Stand with me. Do any of you in here have an identity crisis? Do any of you in here understand a little clearer today and need to yield to the fact that God might have you in a place where you're learning your purpose? Or you might be in the place where he's teaching you what your call is. Or you might be in a place where he's birthed new vision in you. You need to know that it's not a war of attrition with God. It's a war of submission. When the enemy comes and tries to sever your promise, it's by full submission and trust in the living God that he will deliver what he has placed in you.